It's December 20, 2020. And the Ohio State Buckeyes are the Big Ten heavyweight champions of the world. Again, Eminem releases music to be murdered by Side B, and Mr. Mathers kills it, slaughters it, rips out the insides, and prepares a meal to last through the holidays, and enough to preserve in the freezer to last a season. E-40 and Too Short drop a joint album on Friday and do a versus on Saturday in a battle of the bay. December 20 is a day of movie releases. From It's a Wonderful Life to Scream to Star Wars, December 20, just like 2020, has everything. Across the country and around the world, across the street and around the corner, this is Over the Culture. This is Over the Culture Podcast, where you get to hear my spin on things I like, like music, sports, sports entertainment, movies, TV shows, and your mom. You also get to hear about things I don't like, like people who drive Mustangs. We get it. You're a dumbass fucking dumb asshole. Vring, vring. And you cry yourself to sleep, and you wet the bed at night, and you have to sound out words when you read. Vring, vring. What's up, everybody? I'm your bastard of ceremonies, the one gig kid, Pat Stay Black, Alex Black, Reefer Sutherland, Loot Fly Talker, the most interesting blurred in podcasting, the troller of trolls, the prince of petty, somebody's mama's already on my sleddy, Steve G. And this is over the culture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, over the culture. <laughs> Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. It's the most wonderful time of the year. There'll be COVID-19 and an OnlyFans girl jamming hands up her rear. It's the most wonderful time. It's the most wonderful time. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Ah. Hi. How are you doing this Sunday? I'm hungover. I'm Steve G too, but I'm also hungover. Steve G is hungover. Last night I went to Mr. Two, Mr. Q's Two is what it's called. Mr. Q's Two Billiards Hall. And I had a Long Island iced tea, a strong Island iced tea, and a rum and coke. Captain Morgan had one and one of each and I can't hang like I used to that strong island iced tea was no ho it wasn't even a big glass it was just a regular 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 glass and I you know I was struggling all morning just laying in bed like oh make it go away let me power nap my way through this let me sleep this off and I'm still hurt Yeah, man, I'm getting older. My, my tolerance for alcohol has decreased. I'm, I'm losing teeth. What the fuck? Santa, can I have my back molar back? I promise I won't chew gum. I'll just do Altoids. I, I want my tooth back. That's really all I want for Christmas. I want my tooth back. I got benefits now. Uh, you know, I, I just got paid... I I want my tooth back, Santa. Can I? All I want is my back molar. Throughout the day, sometimes I just think, man, my breath really fucking stinks from this missing molar. 
My mouth tastes like metal. My mouth tastes like earring backs. My mouth tastes like navel lint. So lately I've been getting Altoids. I make sure I keep some Altoids on me. Just like Hillary Clinton always makes sure she keeps some hot sauce on her apparently. But the Altoids just aren't enough. When that Altoid's gone, probably about 20 minutes later, damn, my mouth is funky again. It's minty, yet there's a a tinge of funk mixed in with the mint. It just, uh, it stinks. And speaking of stinking, uh, Diaper Don, uh, Shitmaster Flex here, he cannot go away. They're president, man, and, and they don't want him to go away. He's become a delusional old man, just like the rest of his circle. Uh, they're all COVID-riddled, out of touch with the world, delusional fucks. Old fogies, they are. Can you do a recount? I, I promise you I won. I won. I'm president four more years. Check the mailboxes. There's votes. There's still votes out there that are unaccounted. Nigga, we don't like you. They're stiffing ballots up their butts. Check their asses. Check their cracks. Get all the crevices. They're sticking up their pits, their asses. You know, you're so full of shit, literally. There's an interview with one of the production crew members who used to work on The Apprentice when uh, Donald John was the host. And he said that they often had to take breaks because the man wore diapers and he shat himself from time to time. He has bowel issues, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, There are actual videos of him not being able to control his flatulence. He's farting on the camera, talking to ambassadors, talking to world leaders. He's at these meetings dropping gas, not even silent ones. He's backed up. Ladies and gentlemen, Donald John Trump is literally full of shit. Word depends. All flies on me. Flies are attractive to shit. You are what you eat. And you're a shitty man. You're full of shit. You eat shit. You talk shit. You smell like shit. You are shit. Just like that Saved by the Bell reboot. You're shit. And you're fired. Now. December 20. A lot of movies were released on December 20. Scream. The first Scream. It's a Wonderful Life, Beavis and Budhead to America, Godfather 2, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, Born on Fourth of July. A lot of movies were released on December 12th or December 20th. I've never seen It's a Wonderful Life in full. Uh, I've seen clips, I've seen portions of the movie. 
Uh, I plan on watching it, if not tonight, sometime this week, because it is a classic. And certain movies uh, kind of get you in the seasonal spirits, uh, the holiday mood. And I'm familiar uh, with how it goes. And it's become so popular. It's grown on the masses. It's grown on pop culture psyche for so long. It, it has it's had its influence on television. Um, a lot of famous sitcoms or even dramedies or dramas have adapted the plot line for It's a Wonderful Life. And we're going to go into detail about some of those shows. And Eminem just dropped his latest album, Murder to Music, Music to Murder You By. Jeez, I'm having a hard time talking today. What is up? I, I blame the Strong Island. Usually I'm not this flustered. But <laughs> we'll try this again. Eminem dropped his latest album, Music to Be Murdered by Side B. And he is butchering, slaughtering, killing, doing the damn thing. It's hard to pick album of the year for me now. T.I., Busta Rhymes, Two Chains, Eminem, Benny the Butcher, West Side Gun, Conway the Machine. <sighs> Freddie Gibbs. We forget about Nas already. Uh it's just too many to pick from. I looked at the duration of Music to Murder Music to be Murdered by Side B. I looked at the duration of it, and it's an hour and 57 minutes. An hour and 57 minutes. That's longer than most Judd Apatow movies. He literally made a movie of an album. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. MCs age like wine. Rappers, man, it's a toss-up with rappers. Some stand the test of time. Some, eh, are relics of their time. But those MCs, with their wisdom, with their growth of vocabulary, their growth in knowledge of flow, of mastery, of timing, of of wordplay, of witticisms, all of that, it just gets better. And Marshall Mathers proves that in Music to be Murdered by Side B. Those Detroit MCs, man, Boldy James, Royce to 5'9", Goat to 5'9", Eminem, Big Sean, Proof, R.I.P., Proof. Unfortunately, in Music to be Murdered by Side B, Eminem has some choice words for the big homie, the legendary one and only Snoop, D-O-double-G. Now, this year, Snoop Dogg was on The Breakfast Club and he, he uh, talked about his Mount Rushmore. And, you know, Eminem was mentioned. 
And, you know, although he has a genuine respect and admiration for Marshall Mathers, he said that he couldn't put him on his Mount Rushmore. He felt as if it would be unfair to the ones who came before him. What about the KRS-1s? What about the Rakims? Eric Sermons? LL? The Run DMCs? The Chuck Ds? What about those guys? The guys who actually laid the foundation in the early stages, in the beginning, in the onset of it all. LL Cool J was the first rap superstar. The first rap superstar as a teenager. We just cannot sleep on that. And and Snoop showed his love. He didn't try to downplay his skills as an MC. No. They've worked together. They've been around each other for way too long. They have a working relationship. They made a history together. Up in Smoke Tour. Did crazy numbers. He wasn't saying Eminem isn't worthy of being called one of the rap gods. He didn't say that. He just didn't want to downplay the ones who possibly influenced him and influenced Marshall Mathers. So, yeah, he he has a, uh, I guess you can say a diss on Snoop, a dig at Snoop. Now, the song is called Zeus, and M raps, and as far as squashing beef, I'm used to people knocking me, but just not in my camp. I'm diplomatic because I'm trying to be. Last thing I need is Snoop dogging me. Man, dog, you was like a damn god to me. Man, not really. I had dog backwards. Wow. Really, Marshall? Damn, bro. Don't do this. Not that. We love Snoop. And I know you love Snoop. Don't take this as a, as a slight against you. Marshall, come on, bruh. You are a rap god. You're one of the legends in the game. And Snoop himself will give you that. Snoop is a legend in the game. Solidified. We love Snoop. The world loves Snoop. He's good friends. He's BFFs with Martha Stewart. Come on. Just charismatic without even trying to be charismatic. It's just in his drip. It's just in his sauce. And it just pains me to hear that you're coming for big homie, Uncle Snoop. How could... No. This isn't what we want. That's not what Snoop wants. That's not what you want for yourself, Marshall. Keep doing what you're doing. But don't cause a rift in the camp. And and I'm hoping Dr. Dre gets in your ear. Like, man, really, bruh? I'm hoping there's a truce in the future. Um, I know 2020 has everything, but Eminem coming for Snoop Dogg was the last thing. I could imagine. One of the last things I could imagine. <sighs> hey, shake hands, make up, water under the bridge, all right? Also on Friday, E40 and Too Short drop a joint album. 
and it's titled Ain't Gonna Do It slash Terms and Conditions. The album is one hour, right at one hour, uh, and it's 20 songs. The album itself is, um, uh, well, it's, it's E40 and Too Short, and um, it's... Yeah, I, I don't want to say what needs to be said. Um, th- these are two legends, too. Both of them. Bay Area legends uh, that I have uh, a strong love and admiration for as artists. But um, I, it, it's, it's, it wasn't good. It wasn't fucking good. All right. Um, there are, if they still sold CDs, uh, these were, uh, blunt rolling surfaces. Yes. Solely for the purpose of rolling my blunts. Um, love too short. I got to say it again. Love E40. Um, but man, it just, (sighs) that album just was, it it wasn't good. It wasn't good. I, I was not moved too much but in all fairness I I have to say uh, most of those songs they were just they weren't characteristic of the artists themselves it didn't give you that west coast flavor that we've grown to love them for that we've appreciated them for Too Short has always had a unique sound to his music E-40 has always had a unique sound to his music even in the collaborations, when they both did tracks with Lil John, it still sounded like something that would fit in their catalog. But a lot of these songs on Ain't Gonna Do It, Terms and Conditions, it seemed like the album, they, they phoned it in. It seemed like people, and I'm not saying that they used ghostwriters, but it sounded like they did. It, it wasn't characteristic of who they are as artists, as individuals. They didn't give it that bite. They didn't give it that, uh, that, you know, speaking to my weebalization. He didn't do, it, it wasn't enough of that. It, it was very airy, the production, the, the, the sounds of the production, the beats. It just didn't, it didn't have that flavor. That it didn't have enough, bitch. Not enough of that. There was one song that I really enjoyed. It was called You a Trick. And it's like, that's the too short that we come for that I don't know about this other sh- this I don't know no stick to what you know it seemed like they were trying to do this because they had a versus coming up uh, like hey we got a versus let's uh, let's put an album let's do a joint album um, that, that'll get some attention and we'll do a versus to, to bring some more traffic to the album uh, just, it wasn't prepared. There wasn't enough time in preparation. And I'm just being fair. Not every album I talk about on this show, I'm going to like. Even if it's from an artist that I like. Now the verses was way better than the album that they just dropped on Friday. It was way better for obvious reasons. Because you're seeing them live, you know, they're they're giving little 
snippets. They're giving the history behind some of the songs. They're talking about some of the tours, the times that they kicked it with, the people that they kicked it with, uh, who they share these tracks with. They give backstories. And they're playing their best shit. They're playing their best. You figure dig me. They're doing all of that, man. You know, I these guys were the pioneers of the Bay Area sound. They were before the hyphy movement and all of that. I was never big into that hyphy shit. Couldn't get with it. It was just too hyped up. I mean, I get it. That's why it's called hypey. But, you know, in the, the songs just, nah, it was just too jungle gym, uh, grade school recess. But E-40 and Too Short, they played some bangers that I grew up on. That my uncles and my dad used to bang back in the 80s. They, they've collaborated with the biggest, from Lil Jon to Tupac to Jay-Z. They've been around, man, and I love it. I love the fact that Too Short played his, uh, it was all good just a week ago. He did that, the song he did with uh, Jigga, and that is one of my favorite Jay-Z songs, one of my favorite Too Short songs. E-40, he went into Sprinkle Me, man. That's my favorite E-40 track right there. Big time, a time, a 41, a Sprinkle Me, man. That's that player shit. Y'all know about that. Yeah, yeah. But the verses, man, I, it's worth checking out. If you've been watching any of these verses and you're a fan of hip hop, check out that verses, man, with 40 Water and Too Short. And they showed love. Too short showed love for Ohio. He gave a shout out to Cleveland. Celebration of the Bay. I just wanted to give a little taste. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm just giving you a little bit of the love that we got for outside the Bay. You right. You right. We got a lot of love for Cleveland, right. Ohio. You right. The whole state of Ohio. You right. And I also like the fact that they showed love for Hammer. Not enough people give hammer his propers give him his flowers man and hammer deserves that he put the bay on and he put the rap game on in general if you think about it he was the first rapper to have an album go diamond the first this is before jay-z this is before tupac this is before outcast this is before big but yeah he put the bay on man so that was good to see two bay area legends give another bay area legend his props man shout out to hammer over the week i finished up on my latest uh, black sitcom in, in my binge watching of streaming devices and it was hanging with Mr. Cooper it was one of my favorites from TGIF from that era in the 90s on ABC and I, I watched it from beginning to end I, you know I might have took a nap on some episodes but uh, I watched most of it uh, it, it was uh, I never looked at it like this until now uh, it's kind of a modern or at the time it was more of a modern threes company uh, it was a guy living there in a house with two women. 
and they for the most part had a platonic relationship now towards the end uh, Mark Cooper gets into a relationship with uh, Vanessa who is the one and only Holly Robinson Pete ay 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 yeah so they start a relationship I want to say season 4 and the whole series is 5 seasons so they start a relationship in season 4 they get engaged um, we never see a wedding and I've told you guys before that I've watched about four black sitcoms from this era and they didn't have closure. I watched about four this year and, you know, starting off with Smart Guy, about five seasons, I believe, four or five seasons, no closure. Moesha, more seasons, I believe, about five, six, no closure. Girlfriends, I went through eight seasons of that, no closure. Now, Hanging with Mr. Cooper, five seasons, and they didn't really have uh, a send-off in the episode, but in the, the closing credits, Mark breaks the fourth wall, Mark Curry, as himself. Uh, actually, no, he's still in character, but he's addressing the crowd, he's addressing the television audience, he's addressing the, the viewing audience, and he's saying it was a good time, I enjoyed it, uh, thanks for the opportunity, and you know, each cast member comes into the house, and he says his final goodbye, so that was somewhat of a cherry on top, um, I mean, what I've noticed with a lot of these black sitcoms, towards the end, it seems like people are pressed for time. Uh, people are running through the offices and trying to figure out how are we going to close this? Uh, let's just uh, do a final episode and fuck it. And this was like a, a shoe in a last second kind of deal. And Mark Cooper was not going to allow that. Uh, I don't know if that's actually what happened, but I'm, I'm glad to see that they actually did somewhat of a goodbye. Uh, they at least did that. So I don't know what my next black sitcom, I'm thinking living single, starting from beginning to end. Because I've seen most of the episodes, but I haven't seen them all, I don't believe. Now that was a part of Black Must See TV in the 90s on Fox. We didn't watch Seinfeld and Frasier and Friends in the 90s. You know, the black people I knew, we didn't watch that. Now I watch Seinfeld in syndication on Hulu. It's a great show. No, we weren't watching that in the 90s, though, during its original run. We were watching Martin Living Single in New York Undercover. That was our must-see TV. When NBC was doing their must-see TV, Fox had their must-see TV. And it catered the blacks. It catered to the blacks. Just like they did with In Living Color and Rock. Fox was good at that for a while until they didn't need us anymore. Now it's what? American Idol, The Mass Singer, Bones, reruns of House. I don't know. I don't watch Fox anymore. I don't fuck with Fox. You used us. So, yeah, I think I'll be going to the living single. What's with Kyrie? The king of capping, Kyrie. He can't keep from capping, can he? 
damn you, Kyrie. Apparently, he was burning sage prior to his game against the Boston Celtics at TD Garden. You know, now we know Kyrie, that was his former team. He used to play for the Boston Celtics. And the hypocrisy of it all. You are the bad, toxic spirit that needs to be burned away, Kyrie. And I have to reiterate, I love your play. You're a great athlete. In my opinion, you're the best point guard in the game. Fuck Steph Curry. I do like Dame Dollar. But Kyrie, with the handles and he can score off the dribble, his handle, he has the best handles in the history of the game. Better than White Chocolate, better than Allen Iverson, better than Steph, everyone's favorite point guard. Yes, he is Kyrie the Curry killer. But he can't keep from capping, can he? Captain Crunch, the Curry killer, Kyrie, can't keep from capping. Burning Sage, you know, I just... Get over yourself, man. And I don't want to say shut up and dribble because that's just real racist-y, racist-like. It has racist undertones. But in his specific case, I have to just say, just dude, know what the fuck you're talking about. It's not even about shutting up and dribbling. It's about knowing what the fuck you're talking about. When you're speaking to press, when you're addressing media, don't create this lonely island that you're now in. Because now it's just you and KD. I I guess he's tagging along. Just aside of this shipwrecked SS minnow. I don't know if you're intentionally creating this villain role for yourself and I mean that can be cool if you win if you make yourself a villain and you lose then you look like an asshole Stone Cold Steve Austin he he made himself out to be a villain he didn't give a fuck but you know what Stone Cold won he kicked ass Kyrie, if you're going to talk all this nonsensical shit, kick ass. My thing with Kyrie, the flat earther, he has no expertise in shit. You watch one episode of Nova and you're goddamn Neil deGrasse DeGrasse Tyson all of a sudden. You watch one PBS special. And all of a sudden you're fucking Bill Nye, the black Bill Nye. Come on, Kyrie, quit it the fuck you you took what six months at duke probably played about what two games two and a half games and now you belong in the mensa group everyone should write down what Kyrie is saying he has his finger on the pulse of everything now i i like to think his intentions are good some of the stuff i can get with but then he opens his mouth and he continually continually continuously what the fuck am i even saying he puts his foot in his mouth more times than not nba season's coming up this week so show and prove kyrie i want to see you do well but not against my lebron anthony lakers 
It's still Cavs, though. Cavs and seven, never forget. And what about them Buckeyes? Once again, Big Ten heavyweight champions of the world. Northwest, I will say you gave me a scare. You marched down the field, first possession, and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow this horse down. Buckeyes, hey, let's get back in the lab, figure this shit out. And they did. I'm so glad they did. Northwestern, they, they gave it their best. They they gave me some scares. They had some interceptions. They had they recovered fumble and through the grace of the good God, the Buckeyes once again were victors. And we will be facing Clemson again for this rematch in the Sugar Bowl. Alabama is going to be playing Notre Dame. The Buckeyes will be playing the Tigers. We want vengeance on the first of the month. Yeah. We want all of the marbles. And Chris Olave will be back. Ola, Olave. Oh, oh, oh. Yes. His presence was missed yesterday, but he will be back. Nick Saban. We coming for you, nigga. Today in sports history, in 1921, the AL votes to return to the best of seven World Series, while the NL votes best of nine. Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis cast a deciding vote for best of seven. In 1940, Connie Mack acquires controlling interest in the athletics for $42,000. In 1966, the NBA awards the Seattle Supersonics a franchise for the 1967-68 season. In 1980, NBC broadcast the New York Jets' 24-17 win over the Dolphins without audio, as if we were ever expecting to get anything out of watching the Dolphins and the Jets play. Ever. In 1983, Guy Lafleur of Montreal becomes the 10th NHL to score 500 goals. In 1985, sportscaster Howard Cassell retires from television sports after 20 years with ABC. And in 1991, NHL grants permanent membership to Tampa Lightning and Ottawa Senators. And that was my half-assed sports report. Coming up, we're going to celebrate the holiday film It's a Wonderful Life and discuss its impact on modern pop culture and some new music from my friends of Flow Factory. We'll be black after these messages. In today's birthdays for December 20th, happy 23rd birthday to American basketball player De'Aaron Fox. Happy 30th birthday to American singer and actress Jojo. Turning 37 today is American actor, producer, and screenwriter Jonah Hill. 83 is the year of legends. Turning 39 today is American baseball player James Shields. Turning 54 today is American singer, songwriter, and guitarist of the Black Crows, Chris Robinson. Happy 55th birthday to American football player and sportscaster Rich Gannon. American mixed martial artist and wrestler Mark Coleman turns 56 today. Turning 61 is American basketball player and sportscaster Trent Tucker. 
Happy 64th birthday to American disco and R&B singer Anita Ward, famous for her song, You Can Ring My Bell. Turning 72 today is English keyboard player and producer Alan Parsons. Happy 74th birthday to American director, producer, and screenwriter Dick Wolf, the Michael Jordan of crime dramas. From New York Undercover to Miami Vice, Hill Street Blues, Law & Order, Chicago, Chicago PD, he is the GOAT. And happy 75th birthday to American singer, songwriter, drummer, and producer of the band KISS, Peter Chris. over the week and got myself one of those Ralph Macchio drinks. You know what I'm talking about? You ever had one of those Macho Mans, one of those Macarenas? Anywho, they added some holiday flavors to the menu. And they have gingerbread, peppermint, and sugar plum. And man, I got a large sugar plum Ralph Macchio. And they need to call it 2020 because it had everything. Your pole man villages terror from various sources. Me, 
I alone on a chariot's horse Carried a torch like townspeople after the fugitive witch Use half of the force like Jedi mind used to the trick Who would admit that I'm the optimus prime candidate Five star general bandit taking advantage of one Third of the planet I got nerve to vanish without a trace Eyes without a face like my idol is Billy Don't be silly you really not of this 45 caliber French toast To propose to me doing the most like Hurricane Harvey the Gulf Coast is up close and personal like Haters, we off hiatus. Haters to love is SP and law paper. Bring your number twos and we bring it the erasers. Flows get turned into vapors. No one can save ya. High haters, we off hiatus. Haters to love is SP and law paper. Bring your number twos and we bring it the erasers. Flows get turned into vapors. No one can I'm at the house alone, foaming at the mouth about this new heat. We in the south, but you can't be south. But the cost is too steep. Either out in the streets or devouring beef. I'm a boss. We can toss the heat and still stomp you with kicks in the mouth With a decent amount of anger, I'm no stranger to banging Whether gangs, what's the name, or this music I'm slanging Abusing them, raping them, using them, these rappers know when I rhyme See the light shining, feel the afterglow Warm and cozy, no, it's more with the heat from below Underground, where that hunger meets the beast and it grows And the feast is an ether that eats away at your self-esteem I'm that thing in the dark on your neck when you felt the heat Hawk is the Darth Vader, a rapper, the wrath of God in the palm of his hands And y'all still stranded in the land of the lost You don't like it, this ain't made for haters, know your place Just throw the flow factories back like shoulder blades High haters, we off, high haters Haters to love is SP and law paper Bring your number twos and we bring it the erasers Flows get turned into vapors, no one can save ya High haters, we off high haters Haters to love is SP and law paper Bring your number twos and we bring it the erasers Flows get turned into vapors, no one can save you. And a special mention to those no longer with us. Bobby Fills was an American professional basketball player. Born Bobby Ray Fills II on December 20, 1969 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, he played shooting guard and small forward for the NBA's Cleveland Cavaliers and the Charlotte Hornets. A native of Baton Rouge, Fills attended Baton Rouge's Southern University. He was a member of Alpha Phi Alpha. He was selected by the Milwaukee Bucks in the 1991 NBA Draft. After being cut in December 1991 without playing a game for the Bucks, Phils had a stint with the Sioux Falls Sky Force of the Continental Basketball Association before being signed by the Cavaliers and rejoining the NBA late in the 1991-92 season. Over his nine-year career, he averaged 11 points, 3.1 rebounds, and 2.7 assists per game. He was known as a defensive stopper, averaging 1.3 steals per game for his career and an excellent perimeter shooter with a 39% career three-point shooting percentage.
On January 12, 2000, while a member of the Charlotte Hornets, Fields was killed in a car accident in Charlotte, North Carolina. Fields was traveling behind teammate David Wesley at over 100 miles per hour when his Porsche spun and crossed into oncoming traffic. It hit another car, which in turn was struck in the rear by a minivan. The drivers of the other two vehicles recovered while Fields was pronounced dead at the scene. A police report said Fields and Wesley were driving in an erratic, reckless, careless, negligent, or aggressive manner. Wesley was later convicted of reckless driving after being cleared of a racing charge. Fields was 30 at the time of his death. Bob Hayes was an Olympic gold medalist sprinter who then became a wide receiver in the NFL for the Dallas Cowboys. Born Robert Lee Hayes on December 20th, 1942 in Jacksonville, Florida, he was a track and field athlete and then became a two-sport standout in college in both track and football at Florida A&M University. He has one of the top 100 meter times by NFL players. Hayes was enshrined in the Dallas Cowboys Ring of Honor in 2001 and was selected for induction in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in January 2009. He was officially inducted in Canton, Ohio on August 8, 2009. Hayes is the second Olympic gold medalist to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame after Jim Thorpe. He currently holds the world record for the 70-yard dash with a time of 6.9 seconds. He also is tied for the world's second fastest time in the 60-yard dash. He was once considered the world's fastest human by virtue of his multiple world records in the 60-yard, 100-yard, 220-yard, and Olympic 100-meter dashes. Hayes tied the world record to win the 100 meters, then anchored the U.S. 4x100-meter relay team that broke the world record. Hayes is the only athlete to win both an Olympic gold medal and a Super Bowl ring. He was inducted into the United States Olympic Hall of Fame as well. On September 18, 2002, Hayes died in his hometown Jacksonville of kidney failure after battling prostate cancer and liver ailments. He was 59 at the time of his death. Rest easy, y'all. On this day in 1946, the film It's a Wonderful Life premiered. It's a Wonderful Life is a Christmas fantasy drama film produced and directed by Frank Capra, based on the short story and booklet The Greatest Gift, which Philip Van Dorenstern published in 1943. The film stars James Stewart as George Bailey, a man who has given up his dreams to help others and whose imminent suicide on Christmas Eve brings about the intervention of his guardian angel, Clarence Oddbody. Clarence shows George how he, George, has touched the lives of others and how different life would be for his wife Mary and his community of Bedford Falls if he had not been born. Theatrically, the film's break-even point was $6.3 million, about twice the production cost, a figure it did not come close to achieving in its initial release. Because of the film's disappointing sales, Capra was seen by some studios as having lost his ability to produce popular, financially successful films. Although It's a Wonderful Life initially received mixed reviews and was unsuccessful at the box office, it became a classic Christmas film after it was put into the public domain, which allowed it to be broadcast without licensing or royalty fees. It's a Wonderful Life is considered one of the greatest films of all time. It was nominated for five Academy Awards, including Best Picture, and has been recognized by the American Film Institute as one of the 100 best American films ever made. It was number 11 on the AFI's 1998 Greatest Movie List, number 20 on its 2007 Greatest Movie List, and number 1 on its list of the most inspirational American films of all time. Capra revealed that it was his favorite among the films he directed and that he screened it for his family every Christmas season. In 1990, the film was designated as culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant and added to the National Film Registry of the Library of Congress.
Now, like I said, I've never seen this movie in full from beginning to end, and some of you haven't either, but you're very familiar with this story. You're familiar with this plot line and how it goes, how it plays out, as it's been seen in different sitcoms and different drama shows throughout the years. And here are a select few. Let's start off with the sitcom ALF. Remember that show back in the day? I was a fan. I watched the show, the cartoon. I even had an ALF lunchbox back in grade school. Yeah, the guy who played the dad on ALF hated being on the show. He couldn't get over the fact that he had to play second fiddle to a fucking puppet. And apparently in the last episode, when they got done taping, he stormed off the set, never to be seen again. But that's beside the point. Anyways, in the ALF episode, Stairway to Heaven, had this plot device. At one point, he wishes that he never crashed into the Tanner's garage and then is knocked unconscious. Then Alf enters a world where the Tanners never met Alf and Alf never met them. The Tanners are rich, snobby people who own the entire neighborhood, and they have their neighbors, the Akmaneks, be their servants, but they're also bored out of their minds and dull. Alf landed in a cosmetic factory where some blue fluid from his spaceship turned out to be a great perfume, and he became a very rich CEO and has no fear of the alien task force. Alf decides he likes his new life until the angel tells Alf in order for him to go through with it, he will have to forget all about this previous life. Alf doesn't want to forget about the Tanners and decides it's not worth it, but then he wakes up. It is never stated whether the whole thing was a dream or a vision, but as Alf and Kate learn the hard way, the blue stuff in his spaceship didn't make great perfume. Bill Nye the Science Guy's Electricity episode had a fake movie trailer for It's a Wonderful Light, in which a boy wishes that there were no such things as batteries, and he has his wish granted. In Chappelle's show, Dave Chappelle plays a janitor, showing a big-breasted woman how the world would be if her breasts were smaller after overhearing her complain about being ogled and harassed over her big boobs. In that world, she was turned down for a raise and fired. Her friend never invited her to her wedding as a bridesmaid, and the world was destroyed by an insane man who used to masturbate to her when she was large-chested. The woman then decides to get her breast enlarged. It takes a comedic twist when it's discovered that the janitor isn't magic. He's high on PCP and was wondering why the woman was following him around. Charles in Charge has an episode like this. Without Charles, the Powell family and Charles' mother end up with a lot more money, but they all turn out to be spoiled jerks. <laughs> it's ironic that Scott Bayo, the star of the show, is the biggest jerk of them all. The final episode of Dallas showed what the world was like without J.R. Ewing. In some cases, it's worse. Without J.R., Gary would have driven Ewing oil into the ground, which killed their parents earlier. Jason, the brother who would have existed without J.R., then sold South Fork to become a housing development. Bobby would be a bitter and divorced gambler. Ray ekes out a poor living as a ranch hand, having never discovered he was Jock's son, and Callie is arrested for shooting her abusive husband. However, some folks are better off. Sue Ellen is sober and a successful actress. Kristen is still alive, albeit a con artist, and JR's mortal enemy, Cliff Barnes, is happily married with good kids and about to become president of the United States. The Facts of Life had an episode in which Beverly Ann wished that she had never come to town to become the girl's den mother. In a dream, Santa appeared to show her what would have happened without her. Blair lost her fortune due to a bad investment, Tootie and her fiancé broke up, Natalie was arrested for bank robbery, she never adopted Andy, and Joe was killed in a motorcycle accident. Uh oh girls! It even happened on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, without Carlton driving the family to greed and materialism as well as countering Will's laid-back attitude, they sink into laziness and poverty. Oh, and bonus points for Tom Jones being the guardian angel. It's not unusual. Even friends partake in this plot. 
as everything else about the show is unoriginal to begin with, uh, in the episode, the one that could have been two-parter, where the friends are all imagining their lives if things had gone differently. Ross never divorced, Rachel married Barry, Monica stayed fat, Joey never lost his job in Days of Our Lives, Chandler gave up his boring office job to become a com comedy writer, and Phoebe became a stockbroker. Each and every one of them, except Joey, was miserable, and by the end of the episode, they all, again except for Joey, ended up pretty much where they are in the series. Phoebe became a free spirit again, Rachel left Barry, Ross left Carol upon realizing she was a lesbian, Monica stayed fat, but she and Chandler were back in love, and yes, it's just as heartwarming as it sounds. A Laverne and Shirley episode has Laverne feeling sorry for herself while nursing a broken leg, then falling asleep while watching It's a Wonderful Life on TV and dreaming that she'd never been born. And of course, hilarity ensues. It's done with a twist on Mad About You. After finding out that the newspaper stand where they had met burned down, Jamie freaks out because if it weren't for that stand, they wouldn't have met and would have never fallen in love. Paul insists they would have found each other anyway. A magic wind shifts the world to what it'd be like, only both of them quickly lose all memory of what was lost and start remembering their new lives. Both are unhappy with their current romantic situations, and after wandering around lost, find each other at the burned-out remains of the newspaper stand and go home. The world now fixed. A Malcolm in the Middle episode has Lois imagining what her life would be if she had all girls. She goes to the mall and alternates between reality and daydreams about her perfect life with her daughters. Unfortunately, it turns out to be a mess. Mallory slash Malcolm is in love with a lazy guy and manipulates how to get what she wants. Daisy slash Dewey is a know-it-all and Francis slash Francis works at Hooters and is married to a much older man and Renee slash Reese is pregnant and Hal has become grossly overweight due to, the, due to the anxiety caused by raising four daughters. It's something of a subversion. However, since by the end of the episode, Lois is still hoping her next child will be a girl. Married with Children had a subversive, wonderful life episode centered around Al with Sam Kinison as his guardian angel. The world turns out to be much better without him, as Peg is a model housewife who's married to a rich man named Norman Jablonski. Norman Jablonski was portrayed by Ted McGinley, who would later portray Jefferson Darcy, and he had saved up enough to move the family into a mansion. Bud has respect for women and isn't driven by greed or lust, and Kelly is in college and still a virgin. So Al chooses he wants to return out of spite. A first season Mork and Mindy episode had Mork embarrassing Mindy's dad in front of his new girlfriend. Mork tells Orson he wishes he'd never met Mindy because he screws everything up. So Orson shows Mork what Mindy's life would be like if they hadn't met. In the alternate year, Mindy is married to a deadbeat gambler and her father has sold the music store and traveled the world. Mork decides he doesn't want to undo the year he's had with Mindy and that if anyone's going to screw up her life, it should be him. And then they kiss and make up. Aww. Nanu Nanu. With some mild parody, Night Court had Judge Harry Stone led through a wonderful life vision by his guardian angel, Herb. Subverted somewhat when Herb, assuming the image of Mel Torme, admits that the reason the vision was in black and white was not because his absence took color out of the world, but nothing more than an artistic device meant to cater to Harry's love of film noir, and that Harry needed to get over himself. In addition to the requisite for want for nail changes, sleazeball lawyer Dan Fielding becomes a truly diabolical villain without Harry's friendship. There were a few random changes. For instance, in the film noir alternate universe, Jack the speakeasy owner has no sense of taste, where whereas in the main universe, Jack the shopkeep is blind. Quantum Leap used this plot at least twice. In the episode, It's a Wonderful Leap, this was something of an aversion, however, because it did not feature anybody being shown what would have happened if anybody had not been born. It did, however, feature a woman who claimed to be Sam's guardian angel and was apparently telling the truth. 
And in the series finale, when Sam expresses the desire to stop leaping to the bartender, explaining that he did not intend to make the world a better place by improving only one life at a time, the bartender replies that the lives Sam has touched in his journey have touched others, and those lives in turn have touched others. By traveling through time, Sam has done a large amount of good simply by helping individuals in need. They also use this plot in the season 12 episode hosted by William Shatner, in which Mr. Potter finally gets what he deserves. And then there's one from season 26, in which episode host Val Kilmer sees what the show would be like if he chickened out at the last minute. There was also a What If Al Gore Had Won in 2000 sketch, released at the height of George W. Bush's unpopularity. In this universe, global cooling is the problem rather than global warming. Gas is so cheap that the oil companies are hurting, and America is so well-loved that Americans can't go to other countries without getting hugged. When Andrew Dice Clay hosted an episode in 1989, the opening sketch addresses the issues of cast regular Nora Dunn and musical guest Nate O'Connor, refusing to participate in the show by doing this, with John Lovitz in a devil costume playing Clarence. Because Dice was never born, Frank Zappa hosted the show and ratings were so bad the show got cancelled. Nora Dunn was crushed under one of Sinead O'Connor's amplifiers and Sinead was so traumatized she gave up singing. Dice decides he wants to live after finding out that his movie at the time, The Adventures of Ford Farlane, was a box office smash for its star, John Lovitz. They do it again in season 44 at the tail end of 2018, at the height of the legal shitstorm Donald Trump had gotten himself embroiled in, with the single premise, what if Donald Trump never became president? <sighs> In the secret world of Alex Mack, when Alex wishes herself to have never been born, her mother instead got the GC-161 powers and was easily found and was captured and became a lab specimen. Alex then finds her mother, rescues her, teaches her how to use her powers, and wishes herself back into existence. But it turned out to all just be a dream. In the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Tapestry, Q shows Captain Picard what he would have become had he not gotten into the bar fight as a cadet that gave him his artificial heart. Needless to say, he wasn't the same lovable stoic badass we remember. Without his near-death experience, Picard never realized how fragile life was, and thus never pushed himself as far as he did, playing it safe and never standing out so that he would actually accomplish anything. This was also done in an episode of That 70s Show. Eric and Donna have broken up and Eric is so miserable that he wishes he and Donna had never been together in the first place. An angel, played by Wayne Knight, shows up and offers to grant his wish. He shows Eric an alternate reality where Donna and Hyde got married. Hyde goes to prison and Eric is still a spineless wimp who only ever dated Big Rhonda and never moved out of his parents' house. At the end, Eric says that he's okay with all of that, but when the angel shows him the good memories he would also lose, Eric changes his mind. The TV show Wayne's Brothers both played it straight and subverted it at the same time. Without Marlon around, Pops owned a gourmet restaurant, Dee was married to the soap hunk of her dreams, and Sean was rich and owned everything. However, everyone was unhappy. Pops only kept getting the same gift from Sean and was ignored, Dee's husband was cheating on her, and Sean was going to destroy Grandma Williams' nursing home to build a yogurt world. A yogurt world? Weird Science has an episode called It's a Wonderful Life, Without You, in which Lisa creates for Wyatt a world where he does not exist. While at first Chet and Gary initially look better, they soon find how their new lives are actually worse, as without Wyatt, Chet is under pressure and Gary is a thief. But when Wyatt wants Lisa to return him to the world where he was born, she can't because she was never created. So they have to find a way to communicate with Chet and Wyatt so that they can create Lisa in their world. Trippy, trippy, trippy shit. Or just weird science, I guess.
In American Dad, this is featured as the sixth Christmas episode. I'm dreaming of a white Porsche Christmas. Stan wishes to trade lives with Principal Lewis, but in the process, he loses Francine and the kids and tries to undo his wish. When it looks like Stan has learned to truly appreciate his family, an angel arrives to inform Stan the lesson is over. Stan returns home and discovers a completely different family, more akin to how Stan always wanted things to be. Also, Claus is a normal fish, and Roger's existence as an alien is hidden by his disguise as a mall optometrist renting Stan's attic. Beavis and Butthead did a reversal of the plot of It's a Wonderful Life, with an angel coming to Earth on Christmas to show Butthead how much better the world would be if he had never been born. Neighbors, classmates, teachers, and even Beavis, mainly because he never had the chance to screw up, are shown to be happier and more successful without him. Naturally, Butthead fails to grasp the lesson. Family Guy had an interesting take on this plot, as Peter gets killed in a car crash after getting drunk at an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Death then shows up to show what Peter would be like if he continues on his path of alcoholism. In this future, Peter tortures his family and has sex with his boss. Horrified by this, Peter wishes he had never taken a drop of alcohol in his life. Death then shows him what his life would be like without any alcohol. In this future, Peter is happy, educated, and cheerful, but he has uptight friends, doesn't know Joe, Cleveland, or Quagmire, and thinks they're uncouth. Yikes. Hey Arnold even does this plot when Helga dreams of what the world would be like if she disappeared. Everybody celebrates that she is gone. Arnold, who caused her to disappear with a magic trick, is famous for it, and her parents' lives are much better. Eventually, she wakes up and tries to fix all the bad things she did in that episode before falling asleep. In Rick and Morty, Rick creates a device that lets the family see alternate timeline versions of themselves. Summer realizes that she doesn't exist in most timelines, as Jerry impregnated Beth when they were teenagers and Summer's existence in any timeline hinges on if her parents decided to get an abortion or not. In any timeline she exists in, her parents gave up their dreams and her alternate life is pretty much identical to her current one. However, in every timeline where she doesn't exist, her parents got to enjoy their dreams and Beth became a skilled surgeon and Jerry becoming a famous actor. Actor. Beth and Jerry become conflicted over whether they should have stayed together while Summer becomes disheartened over the fact that her parents considered aborting her. This is parodied on Robot Chicken, where Wimpy from the Popeye series is shown how much better the world is without his existence. Popeye has a full head of hair, he and Bluto open up their own bank, Olive Oil has larger breasts, Alice the Goon found a cure for cancer, and there is no pollution or war and hamburgers are free. The Rugrats episode, Chucky's Wonderful Life did this for Chucky, where Angelica took over the town. This was actually a surprisingly dark, almost disturbing episode. Even if you just included what happened to Chucky's father, it's rather bleak. He ends up unemployed, sitting alone in his house, surrounded by tons of empty pizza boxes he's been hoarding, and a sock puppet is his only friend. Meanwhile, Phil and Lil are making their parents' lives a living hell because Chucky wasn't there to tell them right from wrong, and Tommy's living on the streets and going through garbage for food because Angelica enslaved his parents and threw him out of the house because Chucky wasn't there to back him up. Hey man, sometimes we ain't shit without our homies. In The Simpsons, Homer is visited by his guardian angel, who initially appears to him as Sir Isaac Newton. When Homer fails to recognize him, he instead shows himself as Colonel Clink of Hogan's Heroes and shows Homer what the world would be like if he had never married Marge. Homer is a millionaire and is married to Mindy from the plant, and Marge is president of the United States. Oddly enough, the angel seems to consider the state of events worse than the real world, probably because Angel's remit is to make sure that Homer doesn't cheat on Marge now, and this example doesn't really help his case. Homer doesn't get the message and instead spends his time asking Clink if he knew about the tunnels under the camp and the radio in the coffee pot, but he manages to stay faithful to Marge on his own. 
In an episode of SpongeBob SquarePants that stars Plankton, Plankton uses a machine that switches the lives of himself and Mr. Krabs. Despite initially enjoying being the owner of the Krusty Krab, it eventually drives him mad and he reverses the machine's effects and he learns to cherish what he has. An episode of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles also used this, as the turtles wonder what the world would be like without him. And then they wake up in a world in which they never existed, and Shredder succeeded in his plans to taking over the world. It's a mess, and not even Shredder is happy. In the end, it turns out to be all just a dream. Tiny Toon Adventures did this for their Christmas episode. It's a wonderful Tiny Toons Christmas special, with Buster wishing he didn't exist after a loss of confidence. He's shown in alternate Acme Acres, where Plucky is the star of the show and using his position to make life miserable for Babs. Meanwhile, Monty has taken over the school and uses it for his own purposes. It's a particularly memorable version of this trope because the special is littered with clever allusions to the real It's Wonderful Life, among others. Porky lassos the moon for his girlfriend Petunia, Peppy Le Pew uses a perfume called Zuzu's Petals, and when Buster gets back to his own reality, he runs around wishing Merry Christmas to various local landmarks. And lastly, the X-Men episode, One Man's Worth, someone goes back in time and kills Xavier before he becomes famous. As a result, not only did the X-Men never form, but a full-on war has broken out between the humans and the mutants. And these are just some of the shows that borrowed this plotline. There are countless others. How I Met Your Mother, Hawaii Five-O, Glee, Punky Brewster, NCIS, Party of Five, Scandal, Smallville. It's a Wonderful Life has been around for a very long time. And it's been impacting pop culture for a very long time. Happy 74th anniversary, It's a Wonderful Life. Entertainment history. In 1946, the Christmas classic It's a Wonderful Life premieres in New York, directed by Frank Capra, starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, and Lionel Barrymore. In 1974, The Godfather Part II, directed by Francis Ford Coppola and starring Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, is released. The film would go on to win an Academy Award for Best Picture, Best Director for Francis Ford Coppola, Best Supporting Actor for Robert De Niro. In 1983, George Clinton releases You Shouldn't Have Bit Fish. In 1988, NBC signs a lease to stay in New York City for 33 more years. And on that same day, the film Working Girl premieres, directed by Mike Nichols, starring Melanie Griffith, Harrison Ford, and Sigourney Weaver. In 1989, the film Roger and Me premieres in theaters. It is the directorial debut of Michael Moore. And on that same day, Born on the Fourth of July premieres, directed by Oliver Stone, starring Tom Cruise. It's also one of the last great Tom Cruise movies in the 80s. Enjoy that 80s Tom Cruise while you can, because it gets pretty douchey in the next couple decades. In 1991, JFK premieres, directed by Oliver Stone. Again, something about Oliver Stone on December 20th. Uh, starring Kevin Costner, Kevin Bacon, and Tommy Lee Jones. And on that same day, the film Father of the Bride premieres, starring Steve Martin, Diane Keaton, and Martin Short. In 1996, the horror film classic Scream premieres, starring Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox. And on that same day, Beavis and Butthead Do America, directed by Mike Judge. Also on that same day, Ghost of Mississippi is released, directed by Rob Reiner, starring Alec Baldwin, Whoopi Goldberg, James Woods, and Craig T. Nelson. 
In 2002, the film Gangs of New York is released, directed by Martin Scorsese and starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Daniel Day-Lewis, and Cameron Diaz. In 2003, during an NFL game between the New England Patriots and the New York Jets, former Jets quarterback Joe Namath in a sideline interview with ESPN's Susie Colbert twice stated that he wanted to kiss her and couldn't care less about the team struggling. Namath later apologized and blamed the incident on his obvious intoxication. Soon after, Namath entered an outpatient alcoholism treatment program. Namath chronicled the episode, including his battle with alcoholism, in his book Namath. In 2005, The Breakthrough, seventh studio album by Mary J. Blige is released. In 2006, Letters from Iwo Jima was released, directed by Clint Eastwood. And on that same day, Rocky Balboa premieres in theaters, directed by and starring Sylvester Stallone. Ayo, Adria. In 2009, Rage Against the Machine takes the Christmas number one spot in the United Kingdom with Killing in the Name after a massive Facebook campaign. Take that, Santa. In 2011, Young Jeezy releases Thug Motivation 103, Hustler's Ambition. It debuted at number three on the Billboard 200 and was certified gold with the singles Lose My Mind, Ballin', I Do, and Leave You Alone. And on that same day, Common releases The Dreamer slash The Believer. It debuted at number 18 on the Billboard 200. In 2013, 3-6 Mafia member and DJ Paul's brother, Lord Infamous, died from a heart attack. In 2015, during the final moments of the Miss Universe pageant, host Steve Harvey mistakenly announces Miss Columbia, Ariana Gutierrez, as the Miss Universe winner, and Miss Philippines, Pia Wurzbach, as the first runner-up. However, moments after Gutierrez's crowning, after being corrected by pageant officials backstage, Harvey apologized and revealed that he read the card incorrectly and that Wurzbach was the actual winner of the Miss Universe title. Paulina Vega of Colombia, who won the title in 2014, then handed the crown over to Wurzbach before the broadcast abruptly ended. Harvey later issued a second apology for the error to both contestants on Twitter, which he later reposted after correcting spelling errors of the contestants' representative countries. In 2017, Lady Gaga signs Las Vegas residency deal for $75 million at MGM Park Theater. In 2019, the film Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker is released, directed by J.J. Abrams, and on that same day, the film Cats is released, and it is God awful also on that same day December 20th 2019 Gucci may release East Atlanta Santa 3 it debuted at number 68 on the Billboard 200 and Cameron released Purple Haze 2 which debuted at number 180 on the Billboard 200 So that wraps up another edition of Over the Culture Podcast. Make sure to have your kids spayed and neutered for the holidays, or whatever Bob Barker used to say. Anyways, leading us out tonight is Flow Factory with Technique. Happy holidays, y'all. Jam like a tech with correct To you a technique is Which might means I might give you one or two secrets To be a spitter of uniqueness Might wanna consider a few things For claiming you freaked it First, listen to the beat with the mouth Not really saying anything that might make sense Brainstorm on the playpen Kites and cake tents Appetites and break-ins Satellite stations and uh Eyes amazing Might even mumble a jazz vocalist scat Till I say days and nights spent 
trying to put together the syllabus. Yep. I ain't do this for my health and the frivolous. Nope. Yeah, killing it right there. Notice the pause. Enough time for me to catch breath. Notice your flaws. Oh, no, not the right approach. I'ma coach y'all through it. You gon' learn today, my little nigga. It's wet when you speak, but never forget the reason Let when the vets in the bleachers watching Loaded and locked and always ready to rock and roll At least make them notice you hot if you're not the coldest one Flow is part of it, it started with words to sum the patterns The heart, whatever part you prefer, it's an art So you start to get nice and you know it You're sharp as a knife and a cipher And you got a heart of ice, water like Bruce Lee And part of the cheese, so whenever new beats start You slaughter the loose leaf, spit darts in the booth Precise with the wordplay and still stay locked in the pocket When you drop in the verses it's not just for the chatter You better with metaphors You see other rappers is praying You was the predator Then you get to the point You stay cocked and locked in If not, don't sweat the technique Till I find the rhythm that aligns perfect with the cadence Come on. Can't cut the record down to the bone right. Laying colors like a Sudanese woman's skin tone From the bones and DNA Hear it when rearranged Samples from the crate fitted perfect with southern slang yeah. Frame it on the wall but the bass will knock the pictures off I used to rap a lot all alone in a swisher house These days I connect with the double F Eat a beat as a pack till there's nothing left See how I switch that, flip that, change pace Like a James Harden step back, make space Move around, mind travel like a bullet train The beat is one with my heart like I'm Eddie Kane nigga. Concentrate on it all the time, you know what I'm saying? Cause it's like what I do when I'm writing, I'm putting down my life, you know what I'm saying? And you know, I don't believe in writer's block, so when I get to the point where, you know, I'm getting slow on the ink, I just put the pen down, then I go back out in the world and live. So, you know, I'm constantly, I'm not rhyming, I'm just thinking, you know what I'm saying? So when I get back to the paper, I got more life to put down. I try to keep everything dealing with, you know, reality, you know what I'm saying? Just things that take place, like I can be riding up a block. You know, you know, somebody that's sitting next to me, that's why I whoop me, might, you know, think it's just a regular block. But, you know, what I see is, like, you know, I see the way a kid is walking up the block, and I try to think about what he's thinking about. You know what I'm saying? If I see a kid walking real slow, I can put it in a, you know, rhyme form. You know what I'm saying? His feelings. You know what I'm saying? I can see an area that's, like, burnt down or whatever. You know what I'm saying? What I try to do is picture life before it burnt down and where the people that was staying there, you know, what happened to them when it got, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I try to look through things and, you know, come up with something different.